Yeah. So the first year looks different than the second and third. Okay. Definitely. First year is the thing that they make, you know, movies about and, and, and books about, I mean, like the one L by Scott Toro. I mean, that's the one L year is, you know, what's made famous is the Socratic method. So, mm-hmm. oh, teachers just call on you out of nowhere. You, you know, you have to be prepared at all times. You're basically like put on the spot. Uh, and and it's a real, I, I think it's a real learning curve. That's Kate Schumacher on her experience during the first year of law school. And this is Phoebe Drummond with Whipcast. Today, Kate Schumacher joins Whipcast to talk about the law track. After graduating Boston College as a communications and English major, She went straight into the law program at Fordham University. She has since worked at a few different law firms and now focuses on security and fiduciary duty. Today, we will talk about her experience in law school, what to think about as an undergrad interested in law, and what careers in law actually look like. Kate, welcome to Whipcast. Fill us in on on everything that I left out in that intro. Oh, wow. I think you covered most of it. Yeah. I'm just so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is really, um, really going to be fun. Yeah, of course. And so for everyone listening, I always send out a document with what I think would be interesting to talk about, and then people fill it in. And the first bullet on the document I sent to Kate said, did you always plan to go to law school? What sparked your interest in law? And she like put a note on the doc that I'd love to talk about that I I just brought up with her. Um, When you were younger, you said, Kate, people always said you should be a lawyer which you resisted until the bitter end. And I think I did. that note is kind of funny because when people say that, it's kind of when you're being stubborn and bitter in the first place. So talk talk me through that. Yeah, that's fair. You know, I wouldn't say every time I was told that it was a, a backhanded compliment. I do think sometimes they meant, listen, you're, you like to write, you like to read, you make good arguments. Um, those strengths of yours would probably be well suited for the law. Other times, yes, it was you're you're being argumentative. <laughs> you should you should be a lawyer. Um, so you know, I literally since elementary school. I mean, it's probably the number one thing that people told me that I should be, and for whatever reason, that of course made me not want to be a right. lawyer. I wanted to try everything but. Uh, being a lawyer. So when I got to uh, BC, I, yes, I was an English major. And then I added communications as a second major, but I was not pre-law. I, if people asked me, I never said I wanted to go to law school, even though English and communications, you know, it's a lot of people might be uh, interested in the law. I didn't take any law classes or business law classes. I mean, when I say I resisted till the bitter end, I mean, until second semester, <laughs> senior year, when I was like, oh, I guess I'll take the LSATs. <laughs> and I tried uh, lots of other things, like did internships in PR, in marketing. Um, I wrote for the Heights because I thought maybe I wanted to do journalism. Um, So there was a lot of other things that I tried. And then I thought, oh God, all right. And then even when I went to take the LSATs, um, I drove there with a friend of mine and she is now, which we'll talk about, I co-host a podcast and she's my co-host. So another BC alum. And she drove me to the LSATs and she reminded me on one of our episodes recently that I 
on the way there was like, I'm not going to work in a law firm. I said that I was just getting a law degree because it's good education and it's a great foundation to do all these other things. And she was like, oh, I want to be a partner in a law firm. But uh, right. And now she does not work in a law firm and I am a partner in a law firm. So yeah, funny how whatever, that happens. <laughs> yeah. So whatever you think you may want to do or you're certain you won't do, maybe is uh is what's going to happen to you because that's that's what I did I resisted until the end so you mentioned that this is second semester senior year that this comes about and that you did other internships were you actively recruiting for other careers when you took the LSAT yeah kind of yeah um so I was doing I was interviewing I mean I probably I might maybe it was first semester senior either way it was senior year when I finally took the LSAT so then I did kind of stop uh, the interviewing, but, um, yeah, when I went abroad, uh, junior year, I purposely chose an internship program. So I went to London and I worked for Estee Lauder in their oh, PR wow. and marketing. Then I came back after that and, and lived in New York city that summer and got an internship at a, at a big PR firm. Um, and so then I had like offers from there and I was looking in that area. And so, yeah, I, I was, I was really looking for other things. And then, I don't know. I, I I don't really know what finally turned it around for me. I, I think I had to tell myself that I, like I said, that I was just doing it for the, the great education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the options, mm-hmm. even though now I would tell someone, I mean, once you get into law school, I mean, it's sort of a juggernaut of like sort of directing you towards right. working at a firm for the most part, or, or at least practicing law. I mean, yes, people do use a law degree, ultimately is a great foundation for a lot of things, but you're probably going to practice law for a little while because you've now gone to law school and you right. made a major investment right. and, and you've gotten into it. So yeah, you're probably, you're probably, there's probably not a real path to not practicing law at all. So that was a little naive of me, I think. So I also know that a lot of people that do end up attending law school mm-hmm. work in some other field for a year or two while they study mm-hmm. for the LSAT and mm-hmm just prepare, want some money in order to take out loans or provide for themselves while they're full-time student again? Did you ever Mm -hmm. consider that option? What do you think about that as an option compared to going straight to law school? Right. So I didn't consider it. Um, I don't exactly know why, um, but I think I just figured if I was going to go to school, I just wanted to keep it it going. Uh, But no, a lot of people do want to decide, right? Is this, it's a big investment, like I said, of time and money. And if you're not sure, Mm -hmm. working in some capacity is a great idea. Um, I was the hiring partner of my last law firm and and I've done hiring for a lot of, a number of years in a law firm. And I I love to see resumes of people who have done something else. Um, A lot of, first of all, a very common thing to do is become a paralegal. (laughs) So, because then you and and maybe in a big law firm, you know, so I practiced in New York. So I would see a lot of resumes of people who worked in big law, but as a paralegal. And for for those students, you know, I always said I thought they had a real advantage in the sense that they know what they're getting into. They know what it's like to work at a law firm. So they had some real world experience. Um, there was a lot of people, honestly, I don't know, maybe because I did a lot of interviewing at Fordham Law School because that's where I went. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a lot of people that did Teach for America. That, that seemed to be a, a very common thing. And I I really loved those uh, applicants too, because they usually had 
you know, a really great story of what, you know, of, of their experiences doing that. But, you know, some people did, you know, totally random things, but, um, but a paralegal is kind of common because that's like, what what is a paralegal exactly? So, yeah. So they are people that work at a law firm and help the lawyers. So they'll help them on, uh, on transactions or on litigations They're um, they'll do like, you know, I don't, they're not like an assistant or a secretary. They're higher than that. I mean, they have college degrees and a lot of them generally are interested in being a lawyer, but they help on the matter. So if it's a litigation matter, which is what I do, they'll help us like, you know, organize the documents or help us with a doc review or, you know, we need to put together all these files for trial and they'll, they, they basically assist the lawyers. So they get to see exactly what happens on a case or like our paralegal, we had a trial once and he, you know, he was there at trial because, Mm -hmm. you know, he's handing us the documents or whatever, but it gave him like a real world, you know, example. Of course, it's so funny because lawyers are always telling their paralegals not to go to law school. (laughs) They're like, don't do it. Don't do it. Um, We can never talk them out of it. It usually, it usually doesn't work. So. (laughs) And what's that motivated by? (laughs) Well, you know, it's just once you're already doing something and you're like a little more jaded, you're like, oh, go Mm -hmm. do something cooler. Go do something different. You know, it's like my parents were both teachers and all they ever did was tell us not to become teachers. I think it's just, which by the way, didn't work either. I mean, my brother's not a teacher. (laughs) So I think that's just natural. You know, whatever you do, you sort of try to tell the next generation to do something different, but it doesn't work. Is the paralegal bound by what they can do to the extent that they don't have a law degree? A law degree. Yeah. Yeah. So they can't do anything that remotely touches on basically practicing law. So it is much more of like, assisting and administrative and things like that, but they just get to see. That's why I think it's a great, uh, it's a great job for people who aren't sure whether or not they want to be lawyers. Cause then they also, they observe, but then they can also talk to, you know, they, they, right. then they have contacts at law firms. They have people they can talk to, they can ask questions about, you know, for a lot of people, they're like, I don't even know. There's so many different kinds of lawyers. Yeah. So they get to see the different groups and, um, you know, what, a, what someone who does transactional work, how that differs from being a litigator. Cause I think most people, when they think of being a lawyer or when people told you growing up, you should be a lawyer, it's because you were arguing, right? So that's a litigator, but you know, people who do M&A deals, like mergers right. and acquisitions, they're not really arguing. They're not, they're, they're negotiating. But so there's just so many different um, kinds of lawyers that I think being a paralegal, sometimes people get to get a better sense of that. And I guess the question from there, since you didn't do that yeah. beforehand, you graduate law school, you're now a lawyer, mm-hmm. you go to a law firm for the first time, where you're like, in practice, this is much different than it is on paper. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, what you do if you, and again, this is like the very traditional track of law student to big law. I mean, I know people go off and do public service and they, or they might become a DA or whatever, but if I'm, I'm talking from the perspective of going into a a big, you know, law firm. Yeah. I, what usually happens is you uh, get a job, a summer associate position, you know, so you, after your second year of law school. So then you work at that law firm in the summer before your third year, your last year. And hopefully the idea is at the end of it, you get an offer. So you know, going into your last year of law school, what 
what your job is. It sounds Again, just this, like the banking internships. <laughs> it does. It's exact. It's it parallels the banking. Um, exactly the recruiting process. They get paid a lot of money, uh, and they wine and dine them. It's it's very similar. Um, so I did that. Uh, so I had that summer experience, and so you do that is really your first okay. taste. So then, by the time you graduate and come back to the firm to start as a first year. Uh, then you do already kind of have a sense, but this, the difference is like, you know, the summer program is what it's called is very make-believe. I mean, like I said, the whining, the dining, like you do get assignments, you do real work, but then the joke is, then you come back and it's like, oh no, no, now you work here. Like we don't, you know, (laughs) I mean, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so I did, I did have a sense of what it was like, but I think what people also use the summer program time for is to figure out what they, maybe what practice area they mm-hmm. want to get into. Um, all firms are different. Like some have a rotation system. So every summer intern has to do a couple weeks in real estate, then in tax, then in litigation, you know, others, it's more of a free market system. So you come in and there's like an assigning person and you get you know, you can say, Hey, I'd like to try okay. a deal. I'd like to be on this. Every firm kind of does it differently. Um, I, the firm I was at was more of a, you know, you can just, you'll just get an assignment and, you know, you try ultimately to get things in different areas. I did not want to try any, I wanted to be a <laughs> litigator. I was like, don't give me any of those other assignments. I don't want to try the other things. So uh, that was unusual. Most people want to take the summer when they work there before their third year to explore all the areas. I did not. I I just knew I wanted to be a litigator. Well, there's something to be said about like breath first step there. Mm -hmm. I think there's like true advantages to both, but there's also something to be said. I think like a lot of people ask like, why were you interested in what you're going to work in this and that? Mm -hmm. And I kind of had to like, at the end of the day, I was like, you can just drown in the amount of options yeah. that there are. So even if it's not the Cinderella perfect fit, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. If you can pick something and invest yourself in it and just not tunnel Go vision, but stay focused on one thing. Like I think that's a pretty good um, strategy to start earlier on. Right. Then you're, right. You're, otherwise you just spread yourself too thin and you don't really like have an edge anywhere. Yes. Yes. I think that's fair. And I think I just knew enough of what my skills and strengths mm-hmm. were that I just thought, I mean, the, that's why I said early on, I mean, people weren't wrong when they said, oh, you you know, you're a really good writer and you like to read and you like that. I mean, that was all true. And so that's what litigators do. I mean, okay. and, and so the transactional lawyers, you know, some of it is much more business focused, um, you know, putting together a deal. Some of it felt, I joked, like I didn't go to law school. I went to law school because I can't do math. I mean, that's a very common <laughs> lawyer joke, but corporate lawyers do math. I mean, they, they, when they're not literally, but I mean, to me, it seemed much more not what I thought of, right. When I, when I thought of why I would want to be a lawyer. So to me, I didn't need, I didn't want to do like real estate financing. Right. right? But, but a lot of people do. So, but I, I just knew, and I've never regretted that. Like I've never once been like, oh, I probably should have tried a couple Mm. different areas. I'm not in the wrong spot. I mean, that, that I know to this day, 20 years later, I'm like, no, I, I am a litigator sort of at my core. So that does make me think maybe people knew what they were talking about when they told me all those times I should be a lawyer. But. <laughs> so let's 
backtrack 20 years again because there's a big thing that yeah. I skipped over if mm-hmm. I was an undergrad interested in pursuing law. Mm-hmm. else that. How yeah. did you approach studying for that, especially because you weren't were uh, resistant? All in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was not. It's not. It was not a good approach. No one should do this. <laughs> um, well, unless you're just a really good standardized test taker, which that was not my strength. I mean, I was always a very good student. Shocker. But um, I probably wouldn't be at Boston College. None of none of you would be. Uh, none of us would be. But but for me, it was always just like I'm the hardest working person in the room type thing. Okay. Not not I'm just going to walk up to the LSATs and bang out a 170. So that's my point. This was probably not the best approach for me um, because I, I did do like a review class, but sort of like, again, at the last minute. So I ended up doing fine, obviously fine enough to I got into BC Law, got into Fordham where I went. So, I mean, it was it all worked out, but for me, I probably, I probably would have benefited from some more of like the practice test and and taking like a, I know there are review classes. Again, unless you just know you're real good at standardized tests, um, which people by the, that point in their life probably do know whether they are or not. But yeah, so I, I did, I took a review, I signed up last minute, so I had to take it at some random location. Like <laughs> the whole thing was just not, was not great for me, the whole thing. And then I think I joked with you that back then you got your LSAT score results. Oh, yes. You had to call a phone number. This is how old I am. You know, now I'm sure it just comes up on your computer or whatever. So we were I know there was just the BC Notre Dame game uh-huh. that you went to. So I went to that too when I was a senior. And that's when the LSATs, we got, I guess we got an email. I don't even know that the results were ready. And so I called from a payphone outside of linebackers, that bar in, in South Bend. And my friend that I was telling you, I have the podcast with, I actually asked her that recently. I'm like, you were there too. Did you call for your LSAT score? She's like, oh, hell no. I was out. Why would you have (laughs) called for your score? And I was like, now that I think about it, I'm like, that actually was really weird. Like I couldn't just wait till I got home from the weekend, but. I don't know. um, That's a big thing to have. Right. to be waiting on and you got like a football game and like some linebackers time to get through. I know. So I did. So yeah, but it, it, it worked out. And just out of curiosity too, how is the the exam formatted? Like what are the, the types of questions? It's isn't it more about testing like your critical thinking and, and thought process? Yeah. So this was like I said 20 years ago. I've also really blocked it out. I also could be <laughs> not accurately depicting what it is now, okay. but you know, I don't know how much they've changed it. But there was one uh very famous section the logic and proof like it was that's probably what you're talking about that was it was like logic games it was really that was my worst section like Mm. that my brain just did not function that way I know there was reading comp because I was always so good at that there was essentially like a reading comp section and a writing section so like those I was fine it was these logic things and those maybe if I'd done a million more practice tests but I still believe it's kind of one of those that you either get them or you don't yeah, but there must be, again, I think if people studied harder than I did, they pick up on that better. But some people are like, oh, that was my favorite part. And um, why did you choose Fordham over Newton Campus? For- <laughs> I know, because I love, no, I mean, I, I I love, love, love Boston College. Like, I was just there this weekend, I was telling you, and mm-hmm. every time I go back, I'm just like, I, 
I, I really and truly loved my four years there. I have nothing but like the best memories. And, but when I went to choose for law school, I just thought it would be, there was a couple of things. One, I didn't like that it was on Newton campus. I had not, <laughs> right. I had not lived on Newton campus. So to me, I was like upper. So I was like, well, I don't know what goes on in Newton. Oh, okay, I, I, get it. I don't even think Newton. I'd ever been yeah, to yeah, Newton yeah. campus. <laughs> yeah. I think I swear to God, I don't think I've ever been to Newton campus. I mean, maybe like once, I don't even know. So it, it seemed weird to me that I'd be going backwards almost like, yes. Because to me, Newton campus is freshman. Now, if I hadn't gone to BC and I was just applying to Boston College Law School, I wouldn't have had any of these hangups. But to me, it felt weird. Like I'd be at the same place where freshmen were. And then a second thing was, I thought I've loved this experience so much being mm -hmm. an undergrad here. And will it feel like, will I be like deflated? Because it's not, I'll be here, but I won't be here, here. I'll be totally. here in a different capacity totally. now. And then the final thing was just practical. Like I knew I wanted to practice law in New York and a big New York, you know, if I was going to, I assume that's what I was going to do. once I was going to law school, I figured I'm from New York. I always figured that's where I would end up. And not that you can't get a job in a New York city law firm. If you go to BC law, of course you can. But in my head, I was like, I'll go to one of the New York city uh, for, so sense. I only applied in New York. Other than BC, I only applied to um, New York schools. And let's talk about the the law school experience. So when mm -hmm. you're there, talk about how it's structured. It's a three-year program. Does every year mm -hmm. look a little bit different? You talked about that internship or summer program after the second mm -hmm. year going into mm -hmm. the third year. Is that more mm -hmm. of like a capstone situation, rounding it out? Yeah. So the first year looks different than the second and third. Okay. Definitely. First year is the thing that they make, you know, movies about and, and, and books about, I mean, like the one L by Scott Toro. I mean, that's the one L year is your hardest. It is when they, again, I don't know if they still do this, it's been a long time since I've been in law school, but you know, what's made famous is the Socratic method. So, mm -hmm. oh, teachers just call on you out of nowhere. You, you know, you have to be prepared at all times. You're basically like put on the spot. Uh, and, and it's a real, I, I think it's a real learning curve for people. I mean, I studied a lot mm. at Boston College. I mean, I am, like I said, I am a studier. So I was not one of those people that was rolling into law school. Like, oh, I can just wait till the last minute and get, I mean, I wasn't. So I am a like diligent studier. And even I was like, holy shit, like this is, wow. it's a lot of work. It's a lot of reading. And then like you said, you have to be prepared for the reading. You can get called on. And then the biggest thing was which is not good for me, um, is your grade, your entire grade is your final exam. That's it. I mean, one is your first year. So that's a lot. I mean, you, yeah. you do well, if you're not, again, back to this, how, how well do you take tests? Um, that that's, that's a little trickier. So, and everybody's taking the same thing in their first year. They're your, you know, constitutional law and contracts and torts and property. These are the same classes Every person in any first year law school across the country is taking the same thing. So that's interesting um, if you think about it. I mean, there's really no deviation in that regard. But then second and third year that, yes, you can start taking if you, I thought I wanted to do, or I was super interested in First Amendment law. So that's, that's when I could finally oh, yeah. take 
Yeah, I could finally take that or whatever. You can now, or my friend was super into tax law. That's when she started taking all her tax classes. I mean, so that's when you get can get a little more like we would think of as electives or, you know, a little more specialized. And then, you know, your grade, you might write. Like I had one class where my grade was just based on like papers that I wrote, okay. which was great for me. Like, give me a grade based on writing. I'm like, cool. Um, so, you know, that's when it starts to get a little bit more specialized if you if you wanted to. And were there ever courses, especially for people interested in litigation on not public speaking, but like Mm -hmm. verbally negotiating and presenting Mm -hmm. a case? Or is that like a a trade, a trick of the trade that you learn along the way? Well, there are like, um, they're not called, um, oh my God, what are they called? They're like externships or there are like seminary kind of things where like I took like a trial advocacy class. So then we did like mock trials. So if you wanted to be a litigator, you know, a lot of people took trial ad or you could do an externship where you worked at like a clinic where you were. Yeah. So there were clinics. That's it. That's what they called them clinics. So there could be one on negotiation or one on, you know, mediation or whatever. So that's where there'd be more what I think you're getting at. It's like kind of like hands-on real world type experience. And then externships would be, you know, you could work for a semester for judge or or something like that while still getting credit for your classes. So that's why by your third year, you could be doing things that are much more like outside the classroom type okay. things um, where you can start getting more practical skills type stuff than this esoteric kind of, you know, first year learning um, type thing. And does that first year mimic what you're talking about the movies pretty closely i think about um that how do i get with murder tv show yeah yeah i've never seen that but yeah um i think it does honestly i've not seen that but uh, you know i'm i'm it does kind of, it's weird. It's, um, huge, like a lecture hall. And like I said, being put on the spot and having to, you know, respond out loud on, on a case or whatever. And yeah, I think it, and then I think we talked about this too, like a lot of study groups, you know, a lot of people do. And again, I wonder now post COVID how much of this is happening, but, but then when I went to law school, yeah, you forming a study group was kind of a thing. And, you know, which study group, like those kids seem oh, smarter. Like maybe maybe I should be with them. <laughs> like that one seems pretty smart. I don't know. Sometimes it was just who you ended up in your cool. section with. You know, you're in different, you're kind of grouped by sections I mean, or groups. I that happens naturally on yes. an undergrad too. Um, I'm curious when you talk about the cold calling, would it be an opinion on the case? Like what do you think the rule mm-hmm. should have been? Or was it like what law should be applied right now to prove this point? It was, it's more the first thing you said, well, first it might just be like, tell us about that case or tell us about the holding of that case, which is sort of like the legal principle that comes out of it. Um, it could also be like, you know, do you think it was, yeah, like you said, like, do you think they got it right? Or, you know, what do you think? You know, how would you have argued it differently? You know, things like that. So some of it is just if you read it, you can at least regurgitate, you know, the facts or the holding. But then sometimes, yeah, it's like, well, tell me a little bit more about what you've now thought about it or right. how you right. would. That's what I was curious about. Because yeah. like, a studier can, you know, you've defined yes. yourself as a studier, like, great, like, Tell you the date, the whole day, yeah, of course. That. But then it mm-hmm. takes that next level to, to have yeah. the, the, the critical the, thinking part. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, Kate, we talked about 1L, 2L, 3L. Let's talk about the bar. So, um, the bar. Yeah, oh, the, the bar, bar exam. Yeah. yeah, another 
a scary B word. Um, so <laughs> the bar exam, Jesus, that's another thing you try to block out. Talk about that's probably the most I've ever studied for anything in my life without a doubt times a million. And again, I've said 20 times I was a studier. It was, it's just a tremendous amount of information, Mm. just a tremendous amount. And you take a bar review class. I think unlike, listen, the LSATs, like I said, maybe some people do, some people don't. It's just like people with the SATs. Maybe some people take a review class, some people don't. The bar exam, I'm pretty sure everybody takes this bar review class. It's, there's a couple of companies that do it. That one's probably the most well-known. And you take it, uh, the exam in the summer, but you do this class for it's probably two months, wow. maybe six weeks. It's a, it's a long time. Every day from nine to 12 was how I took it and then studied every I studied like every afternoon after that into the night some people you know we used I don't know when they give it now it used to be towards the end of July and so some people it was like once fourth of July hit they were like oh oh crap like now I really have to study I was you know pretty much spacing it out throughout but it is it's just a huge amount of information um on like every topic imaginable that you could have learned in law school. And then, and then in the state you're taking it. So I took it in New York. There's like specific, you know, rules that mm-hmm. you need to know for New York. Um, so yeah, it's, and then some people take a second one. Like I, I took the New Jersey bar too. You can add on a third day. <laughs> and so if you're in New York, it's two day exam when I took it. And then I added on a third day and did New Jersey. Some people add on to Connecticut, you know, like a neighboring mm-hmm. state. Cause they're not sure where they're going to practice or they might be from my husband at the time. Well, well he was my fiance then, uh, was from Jersey. So I don't know. I figured right, maybe, right. I, yeah, I'm not sure. Or, or it's like, you're already being tortured for two days. You might as well just, yeah, just, add, just you know. push the, what's it called? The straw that just bring the camels back. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a, it's a tough test. It's a really tough test. I mean, yeah. I was even thinking about it because now, like TikTok, social media, there's this new level of transparency. Oh, yeah. And people not even interested in certain fields. You can see like what that preparation process looks like. And like she's more or less an influencer at this point, Um, just kept coming up in my feed and her experience studying for the bar. And it like just looked exactly like how you described it. Oh, that makes me feel better because I didn't know if it had changed in any way, the misery, but it's, I'm glad yeah. to hear that. Yeah, there's still a lot the of tears posted, a lot of like, yeah. I'm going to try and keep it real with everyone, which I think is important. Like you even talked about the paralegals have this little leg up where they kind of know what they're getting themselves into. Not that watching a video of someone crying while studying, like, is like, <laughs> it really tells you what it's like. Into, but it's just like a look into like, this isn't a glamorous, like, kind of situation, which nothing really is if you want to succeed. So I think that's like yeah. a fallacy right now that I don't know, it's kind of come with social media too. You see like a 30 second clip of like the person studied with their coffee and like the pretty view out yeah. the window. But like that's not what studying no. and success. When you're on your tenth hour in a row, it's not so it's not so pretty anymore or glamorous, that's for sure. Um but I do think honestly, even like I said, the people there are people I have friends who certainly are not the same studyers as okay. me. 
But even they all will say then they just killed themselves at the end. So, I mean, you know, mine was just more, I just spaced it out the whole time, but you don't, nobody avoids it is what I'm saying. This is not a test that you can wing it or, you know, Hey, I'm just good at a test. It is, there's, there's really no way around the work that you need to put in for the, for the bar exam. And I, and, you know, now I, like I said, I'm in a law firm and these, these one L these first years, mm-hmm. you know, they're all waiting to get their bar exam results. I mean, if you failed, you, you're, it's embarrassing. You're now, you now say, work in a law the, firm and you're like, do you just have to pass oh. or do you want to like, you just have to pass. Okay. No, it's just pass. It's just pass fail. And all you ever have to tell, I mean, you, that's all, you know, you don't, you know, you, oh, all really? you know is if you passed or not. So, oh, okay. yeah, I mean, again, it could be different now, but it, that's what it was a long time ago. And so all you need to know is you pass, but you have to, if you fail and now you're working in a law firm, right. you, you know, everyone knows you're the person that failed, you know, or, or, you know, we rarely have people that fail, honestly, and we've had it in all my years of doing this, like I've had a few of our first years who have, but you know, then they got to take it again in February, which is, you know, just then you got to get time. Here, yeah. Yeah. This so it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's rough. It's rough. You don't, you hopefully don't want to go that route. So, um, but that's why, that's why you, you said you, you blacked it out afterwards. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. But now what you know is, is life at the law firm. So yes. talk about that generally. Yeah. So, you know, it's, again, I'm, I'm only speaking from the experience of someone that works in what, what they call big law, which is sort of your top. Yeah. So those are like your top 50 law firms in the country. Um, you know, there, there's hierarchies even among them, you know, they're sort of like the true, what they say, white shoe firms, which are the super fanciest of all, maybe the top 10, but you know, these, the, the top, the American lawyer does rankings. So it's like am law 100 firms. So like the top hundred firms or the top 50 firms, um, it's on based on size really and, and revenues and things like that. But, and, and prestige is always a factor too, but, um, yeah, you thought, you know, you escaped rankings when you applied to college or law school. No, it keeps <laughs> going, keeps going when you're, when you're in this area. So that's my experience. Like I said, people go to small firms, they go to public interest, they do lots of other things, but my track, uh, it was the, the sort of the big law firm track. And so I've worked at a few, so I do have different, you know, experiences, but they generally, are similar. You, sure. um, they're very hierarchical. So, mm-hmm. um, you start as a first year, then you become a second year, you become a third year. I mean, it's like little steps in the ladder. Um, all again at these big firms, all first years generally make the same. You can look it up, you know, all second years, all third years, uh, if they follow, you know, this, the general pay scale, some don't, some veer off at different points, by the time you're like a mid-level associate, some of them start putting in other factors. But generally speaking, you know, you could Google what does a first year associate make in big law and you'll, everybody's kind of making the same thing. Um, And so it's, in that sense, it is very structured. You know, there is a path, which for a lot of us who went to law school, a little risk averse, um, it's very, you know, safe in that sense. You sort of know what your expectations are. And if I do that, I'll get this, then I'll go to that, you know? So 
it's for someone like me, that's kind of, that, that's kind of my mentality probably worked well for me. Uh, and then by your eighth year, it depends again on the firm, but around that time is when you can be up for partners. Some, wow. every firm kind of has a different partner track, but for the most part, you're not making partner sooner than eight years. That would sort of be the minimum. And again, some firms have like uh, two different partner tracks. So there's like an income partner or an equity partner. And equity partner is really what you think of with a partnership. That means they are partners in the firm. They they share in the profits of the firm. And that's, that's what the pinnacle is really. Um, so different firms, depending on the structure of their partnership, the track might be longer or shorter, but nobody's, like I said, nobody's going to become a partner faster than eight years. And I'm curious, um, just what the proceedings of a very typical case are. Oh, wow. So there is no typical case probably. Um, So, and again, so within a law firm, you got uh, different practice areas. Litigation is usually a big one at any firm. Um, You know, I've been at some firms where that's, you know, half the lawyers are litigators. Usually it's a good, a good amount. Um, and the thing that people love about being a litigator is like every case is different. Every, every, it's like a different set of facts. It's a new story, but I mean, generally speaking, a, a, a litigation started by someone filing a complaint. Mm-hmm. And if you're at a big law firm, you typically represent the defendants. You're usually representing the big company that gets sued or, you know, the big corporation. You're not, you're not representing the little guy that that's going to be uh, like a someone who represents the plaintiffs, like a plaintiff's law firm. Um, and so we're usually representing more of the corporate defendant um, or it's CEO or CFO or something like that. Um, so we might represent like big pharmaceutical companies, big financial institutions um, who are being sued for, it could be any number of things. And then, you know, you usually people think we go to court a lot. Not necessarily. Yeah. A lot of it is just done on on the papers, as they say, like someone files a complaint. We file a motion to dismiss that says, like, based on all the allegations in your complaint, you still don't state a case under the law. Sometimes you can win right there at that stage. You could get a case dismissed. Sometimes you have to go further into, say, discovery where you do that's where you would do depositions or um, exchange documents okay. and you try to discover the facts. Um, and then you have another chance to make a motion. It's called the motion for summary judgment to get rid of the case. If not, if all of that fails, you might end up in trial. But again, depends on the type of litigation you do. I do mostly securities litigation. So, so those very rarely go to trial. If someone like I could have a partner, though, who does we my last firm, tons of people represented uh, pharmaceutical companies. So when there's like you see in the news, like a drug has allegedly caused some side effect or people are having heart attacks because they took X drug like those. They do go to trial all the time because they never want to settle those things or because they that would set a bad precedent as the mm-hmm. drug company. So they've got to fight everything. So it it's so different depending on what type of case you have, what type of litigation you do. Um, so some people do end up in court or much more often than other people is what I would say. And I think like the last big question that I have about the the law career that you're in now is how is your day structured in like this 50% of your day, however many hours that be like 
reading documents? Are you talking mm-hmm. to clients on the phone? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good question. So that also depends on the level you are at a law firm. So what I do most of the day versus what say a first or second year associate who just came out of law school does is very different. Um, for people like more your age, or mm-hmm. let's say someone graduating law school, what they're going to do most of the day is going to be uh, research, legal research, writing, um, looking at documents, um, things like that, interacting, doing basically whatever the partner needs them to do on the case. Me at the partner level now, I'm doing much more of talking to the client, um, reviewing things. So I don't write the briefs anymore, right? So somebody Mm -hmm. writes them for me (laughs) and then I review them and give comments. The one thing you liked, the one I know, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. This is all messed up. Uh, no, I know. I, I would rather, I honestly, I'd love to write a brief, but they can't, my rate is too high to write a brief. So, you know, your hourly rate goes up. So, you know, what, how a client wants, you know, to spend that money is not me writing a brief and that's not how it should be anyway. Right. The, the younger people right. should be doing that stuff, but, or, you know, I may be taking or arguing the motion, but someone's given me an outline. Mm-hmm. Uh, an associate has written the outline and I've then added to it or, you know, so there are just sort of levels. Again, this is speaking solely from someone at a big firm. Uh, you know, I mean, my husband's a lawyer and it's totally different experience. What, but what for him, you know, he's a federal prosecutor. So that's just a oh. totally different thing. He does write briefs and does his own work because they don't have associate, you know I mean? So mine is very unique to working in a big law firm. And do you think that that's given you some flexibility later down the line in your career? I mean, like it's 11 a.m. right now, like we're, we're able to get on the phone or talk for an hour. Yeah. Well, I also think uh, the post-COVID world okay. has done that too, because now we're not in the office as much. Um, we're only, you know, right now our firm is on a hybrid schedule. Um, so there's just a lot more flexibility, I think, for everyone now because the workplace environment has changed so much post-COVID. And is that when Pop Fiction Women came about during COVID when oh. you had this, this free time? Let's transition there. Let's transition to like, yes, like the work-life balance kind of extracurricular side of, of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Pop Fiction Women is the name of my podcast that, yes, we uh, focus on the complicated women of our favorite books, movies, and TV shows, as well as the female creators behind those, those things. So that came about, yes, Bef- Right before COVID, it's actually been three years. We just okay. had our three-year anniversary, um, but it really took off during COVID, I would say, because we were doing regular episodes, my uh, co-host and I, on like a books, movies, or TV shows, but then COVID happened and all of these authors couldn't go on book tour Mm. because there were no book, you know, so typically an author launches a book. They go, as you know, to bookstores and do signings. They couldn't do anything. So tons of authors had books out in the world that they needed to plug. So we ended up doing a ton of author interviews, which we was not our original intent. It was just my host and I, yeah, we were just going to talk about these things ourselves, you know, have a conversation amongst ourselves. So you're recording book club? 
Yeah. So then we recorded. So then we started doing all these author interviews and like with New York Times bestselling authors, just huge names because they needed outlets to talk about. And they, again, they weren't going anywhere. So they could sit like I'm doing and they could do 10 interviews in a row. Whereas when they used to have to travel to book events, you know, they couldn't. So in some ways, like I can actually reach so many more people this mm. way than just stopping at like five cities on a book tour. You know, they missed the, they all say they missed the interaction with their right. readers, but it was a good avenue when the world was shut down. And so then once we started doing that, that became a huge part of our podcast. We still do episodes where just Corinne, my co-host and I talk about, you know, a, a, a book, a movie, t- those we do Friday TV recaps. recaps. Those are awesome. Um, but Oh, those are funny. So those just started recently where we just do Friday preview, where we're going to talk about what we're going to do this weekend, what we might watch, what we might read. Um, But then our TV recaps are actually fun too, because we'll do like, we're doing the White Lotus right now, Um, but uh, Fleischman's in trouble, like whatever is sort of a new, we usually only do ones though that are written or directed by women or have female showrunners. Yeah. The White Lotus, we clearly, there are some, we just that like that breaks the rule because it's it's create. I know I'm like it's created by Mike White. It's not created by a woman, um, but that's all right. So we we if it's really good TV that we want to talk about, then then we do it anyway. So we we break we we made the rules. We can break them. We right right. Them. That actually yeah. makes me um curious just about your you know like at this point I, I think you could call it like a study of female creators or female yeah. characters. Are there any? similarities between the writers these main characters that you didn't expect but like seems to be coming up as like i don't know some Mm -hmm. new modern day representation of like what it means to be a woman in in all these books well i think what we what we're trying to to draw attention to is that there is no one definition of what it means to be a woman, right? So our whole point of our our tagline is we're complicated. And what we mean by complicated is these are just real three-dimensional human beings with flaws and and that they're just what that's what humans are. So right. so what we we just want more representations. Um so that could be, you know, someone does a show, right, with you know like uh the ambitious woman. Well what is an ambitious woman? There could be, you know, we could, we could watch five different things that would, sh- would sh- depict it in different ways. So we're just all for more representations of, 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 of women in, in like all different friend is anything. It's that there is no one thing that makes, you know, a woman, you know, and so that's what we're looking at and that's what we're always trying to focus on. So we love it. We just really, really love it. And it does sort of bring me back to the things I loved to study. Right. Yeah. I mean, you said uh, I loved writing, but I loved reading. I loved my English classes at Boston college. I loved examining characters and you know, when, when would I ever get to do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly not going to do that in, in my legal career. So this, like we did it, we interviewed a poet and it was funny because my co-host was a poli-sci major at BC and she did want to go to law school. So she really didn't take any English classes except whatever you had to take freshman year. And 
she was like, also, I didn't want to be an English major because I was afraid to deal with poetry. And I was like, yeah, I wasn't really into poetry. And then I thought, I remembered like my British romantic poetry class at BC. And I started, I'm like, wait, actually, I really was into poetry. You like, like break into I the totally act. Forgot about. <laughs> yeah, but I forgot about some of this. You know right. what I mean? Some of these like sides of myself or interests that I had because I don't know, it's just not something I've been focused on for a yeah. long time. So it's been, that part's been really, really, really fun. For and me. this is such a great platform to do something like that. Like, we're in two different places right now. Like you can zoom yeah. anyone into anywhere at this point. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going well. This is a, you know, um, a side any hustle. Any recommendations for the listeners? <sighs> oh, wow. Of what to read or watch. Oh yes. my goodness. I actually, I, I'm um, going to need something myself over winter break. So. Oh my gosh. So what are some of my favorites? Well, Fleabag is so old at this point, but it's still one of our favorites. Did you watch Fleabag? You got to watch Fleabag. Mm-hmm. Um, I May Destroy You is another one that I loved with Michaela Cole. Um, those are like a few years old, but we love normal people. Yes. Did you watch that or read yes. that? that okay. Good. I watched it. I want to read the book though. Yes, definitely. We've done all of Sally Rooney's books. So she's written three books, um, Conversations with Friends. They also made into, uh, was one of hers that they made into a show. So we have a little bit of an obsession with Sally Rooney. So you can, we cover the books and the shows. Um, we love Succession, which is another one of our um, yes, that, cheating. Yes, that's, oh, that's cheating. Like one of the shows that's just on in the mod. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, home, is it? Okay. Everyone's kind of just like cooking or like doing homework or something. But like, that's like a background kind of show. It's just like always that's on, so fun. funny. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that broke the rule too, because that's not created by a woman or based on a book by a woman or anything like that. But but we love it. And we are, we loved season one of White Lotus. I don't know how you guys feel about White Lotus, if anybody's watching it, but um, I'm not sure about season two. But um, those are some of the ones, this is also one of those things I joke with my co-host, like if you ask me what I read yesterday, I can't remember, even though, you know, it was like five books or something. But um, yeah, but if you check out, so Pop Fiction Women on our Instagram, you can kind of scroll, scroll through and, you know, that's what I we say to people like, or we have tons of interviews with, oh, tell me lies. What about tell me lies set in college life? It brought us back to our college days. Going you should watch list. that. Yeah. Tell me lies. How do you That's feel good. about and books that just turned came into out. TV shows, movies? Would you prefer like a, a series versus, I think I prefer a series over a movie from a book. That's what they're doing now. That's kind of what everybody's doing. A limited series seems to be the, it almost feels outdated or antiquated when they adapt it to a movie now. Like nobody does it to a movie. Um, Another BC connection I could bring though. So one of my favorite classes at BC was film adaptations of literary classics. I don't, they probably do not offer this anymore, but I I just loved, you would read the book and then you would watch the movie um, or like, even like we did, we read Emma and then it was clueless, you know, so they weren't always, you know, some things are just things that were inspired by a book, but I should have known that. And like, that's kind of what we talk about on the podcast now that's is what I used to talk about in that class. I'd be surprised if they don't do that. Cause that sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I like them being adapted to limited series now, but I think that's just cause that's what the trend seems to be. I'll be sure to include all the details. Um, about pop fiction oh, women and oh, description. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you yeah. So much for taking the time. I think that this so, so helpful for so many people in so many different ways. One, just like the general information Two, you, like, I have a great podcast personality. I think this will be a really fun listen. And three, like Thank even you. just through this last 20 minutes, like 
you really show that your life can be a lot bigger than your career, even if you're very successful at what you do. And, and that's refreshing. Yeah. Well, thank you. And seriously, you can put anybody listening. If you're in, have any questions about becoming a lawyer or anything, I mean, you can always reach out to me. I'm, I'm happy to answer. It's like the one thing I love has helped like the mentoring aspect or, right. you know, talking with young people who are interested in the law or starting at a law firm. So reach out. Well, I'm happy to 